Our sermon lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 18 to 23. It's really a sequel to the parable of the sower that you heard about just a moment ago. And the text is up on the screen. I'd love to have you read it with me, please. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the word. If you were going to put this parable on film, what would you do? Here is an example. And as you can see, while the other soils failed to sustain life, the good soil produced a plant that is strong and healthy. For my project, I also did some planting. I planted the biblical gospel and these four adults with varying results. And the first person I talked to was Sean. Oh, that's me. I'm Sean. I told Sean about Jesus Christ. Super confusing. You know, I'm not sure I completely... Uh, whoa! Those are thorns. He did not understand. What? Oh, sorry. You want me to stand? Uh, no, that's okay, Sean. You can sit. Make up your mind. You'll see in my results that I believe the evil one came along and snatched away what had been sown in his heart. Yeah, see? Super confusing. This is Amanda. Oh, hi. Her enthusiasm for the gospel was quite promising in the beginning. Yeah, you know, even before Paul finished telling me about what Jesus did on that cross, I had accepted Christ, I started a small group, and then I went and served communion to homeless people down on Skid Row. But a few weeks later... Well, um, you know, nobody came to my small group, and the communion actually had gluten in it, ew. And, um, you know, the homeless people, they, they kind of smell. Apparently, Amanda's roots as a Christian had not yet had time to mature. This is Sam. I shared the gospel with him. Yeah, and I was totally on board with what the Bible had to say, even defended it to my friends. But when I went to church and they said that I should give away part of my possessions to God, I'm sorry, but that just screams of greed and corruption. Ooh, does this work, do you mind? Go. Hello? 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 Someone must have butt-dialed me. Uh, Sam flourished at first, but then the cares of the world choked him and he too lost faith. This is Stephanie. She works at the coffee shop with me. I first noticed that Paul acted differently than all the other employees. He was honest and caring, and he had integrity. In fact, it was Stephanie who actually expressed interest in what I believed. Yeah, I mean, I asked questions and he answered them. <laughs> and then about six months later, God really showed himself to me. It was just so real, you know? I, I don't really know how else to describe it. It was just... It's just real. 
Stephanie is now going on her first missions trip. The gospel was planted in good soil, causing Stephanie to flourish. And she's now sharing the gospel herself with people who will be hearing it for the first time. From my experiment, I started out with five barley loaves and two fish. Thanks to Bob Lee and the bad group, Bel Air Drama Department, for that presentation. I pulled into a mobile station because I needed fuel for my car, and they rejected my MasterCard. Right. Those ever-vigilant folks at MasterCard decided that somehow I was in the wrong zip code. In fact, they questioned my integrity. They wondered if I was somehow, somehow dangerous or maybe had stolen somebody else's credit card. They didn't believe that I was really me. Isn't it interesting? We live in an era of networks and data that really control our lives. And the question for the church is, how do you use all of this material for the proclamation of the gospel? Jesus said there was only one thing that was certain. If we sow the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the movement from alienation to reconciliation in Christ, if we will sow that seed, there will be a harvest. I don't know why the disciples were so discouraged, but they were certainly discouraged. Yes, they'd been around Jesus for a long time. They'd seen Jesus heal lepers. They had seen Jesus feed the hungry. They'd seen Jesus enable the lame to walk. They had seen Jesus calm the sea. And yet they were still discouraged. And so maybe, just maybe, the crowds weren't as good as they had anticipated or hoped. Maybe they couldn't get into the synagogue as easily as before Jesus. Maybe, maybe they were experiencing some fear that the Pharisees and the scribes were after them going to get them as well as Jesus. Maybe they were experiencing some real hostility to the seeds of truth they were sowing. Whatever it was, they were certainly discouraged. In order to lift their spirits, Jesus gives them this parable of the sower. The parable makes very simple points. It's the gospel in simple terms. What you have in this parable of the sower are how many soils? Four. Four soils. And the first kind of soil the seed hits is that of the beaten path. And what happens? The seeds can't penetrate the path. The earth is too hard. And so the birds come along and simply eat the seeds. The second soil that Jesus talks about has to do with shallow ground. The seed gets into the ground, is well received, but the soil is so shallow that as the seeds grow up, the sun simply scorch it and choke it off. And then the third kind of soil Jesus talks about is thorny ground. Ground that is not really willing to accept the seed. And so the seeds come and as they begin to sprout, the weeds choke out the new plants. And the fourth soil he talks about is perfectly good soil. Good soil where people are receptive to the truth. And the grain grows some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Isn't it interesting? He's talking about sowing the seeds. He doesn't say anything about weather, whether it's in drought or rain, whether the weeds or the birds eat all the seeds. 
He simply encourages us to sow. Sow the seeds of the gospel. Why? Because he believes there will be a harvest. Van Gogh's favorite artist was a Frenchman named Jean-Francois Millet. In 1850, Millet did a very famous painting called The Parable. You may well have seen that. It graces the walls today of the Boston Museum of Art. And in the sower, that painting by Millet, you have a young farmer that is muscular, very well built. And he's got a bag of seed over his shoulder, a hat on his head, and he's throwing seeds, planting the seeds. And you can see in his stance, you can see in his face, you can see in his walk a certain determination. He's going to plant the seed because he believes there will indeed be a harvest. It takes a long time for an acorn to become an oak, right? It takes a long time for the seeds of the gospel to germinate in some people. Parents that have been very faithful to the gospel, done their very best to nurture their children in the Christian faith, and then the children become adults and turn their backs on the faith. And it's easy for a parent to just throw up their hands and be heartbroken. But the Word of God encourages us by the promises to say there is indeed hope and we need to trust the promises of God. The patience does pay off and in the end they are indeed God's children. I was on a Delta flight the other day and boy, you talk about an addiction to distractions. We've got it in America. Everybody on that plane had one of those handheld devices. You know, and they can't wait for it to ding or buzz or flash and it's emails, it's texts and everybody's into this thing. And I thought to myself, you know, they don't talk to each other. They're all into their distractions. And I guess they're hoping that they get a message that says, you're important, you are needed. I have some information for you. Ding, buzz, flash. Is that really all we've got? There is an addiction to distractions in our world. What we know is that in God's good time, there will be a harvest. Here's what the scripture really says. The word of God is never without effect. The word will not return void, it says. The word of God is never without effect. So your job, my job, is to be faithful in sharing the gospel. Our job is not just to be faithful, but also to be expectant. For the scripture says the one that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. So you can expect something wonderful to happen. Yes, we're not called to success. We are called to faithfulness. Yes, there are people that will indeed reject Christ. There are people who have no time for the gospel. People who find there are no absolutes in life. People that discover that somehow they can make it through life without any supernatural intervention. The Bible says some plant, some nurture, some water, but God gives the increase. In verses 18 through 23 that we read up on the screen a moment ago, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. And what Jesus does is say there are really four kinds of people in this parable. There's the indifferent, there is the distracted, the empty, and the receptive. The indifferent, the distracted, the empty, and the receptive. 
In verse 19, he talks about the indifferent. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. The idea is very simple. The path is so beaten down that the seeds of the gospel just cannot penetrate. There is nothing there. There's no room for anything. There, there are people in this world that just can't cope with anything else. They can't imagine the gospel being pertinent to their situation. And so they become indifferent. Linda and I got a letter the other day from the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Delighted to hear from them. And what they said in that letter, three-page letter, mind you, they said, we have had a significant operational problem. 60,000 people they don't know what to do with. And Linda and I fit the category, evidently. 60,000 people. And, and they said, please don't call us, we'll call you. Sure. But if you do call, they said, by the way, the wait is only two hours before somebody will talk to you. I mean, I read that thing and I thought, my attitude is one of indifference. I could care less. Your problem's overwhelming. Leave me alone. And there are many people who feel that way about the gospel of Christ. Leave me alone. They're indifferent to the whole thing. And then here's what it says in verse 20. This is the second crowd that Jesus talks about. I call them the distracted crowd. As for what was sown on rocky ground, now it's rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They receive the seed of the gospel, and they do it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, and by the way, it's trouble or persecution on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. They have their own hidden agenda. The distractions are too much. And they have no real understanding of the gospel. We live in a self-help world. We spent $11 billion last year on the self-help industry. And if the self-help industry was going to get us there, we'd have been there long ago in terms of peace. And indeed, there are people who feel terrible isolation. People who are burned out because of stress. And there's an amazing search in our culture for acceptance, for forgiveness, for meaning, for purpose, for peace. And the self-help industry does do some wonderful, redemptive things. I'll never forget a psychiatrist who was talking about his clientele. And he described them this way. He said, all of them in some form or fashion are quietly screaming, for God's sake, somebody love me. For God's sake, somebody love me. It's all around us. The Hoover Institute says this about today. We have 77,000 clinical psychologists. We have 192 thousand social workers in America. We have 105,000 mental health professionals. We have 50,000 marriage and family therapists. We have 17,000 nurse psychotherapists. We have 30,000 life coaches at work in America. 
There are 315 million of us in America. And I think Jesus would look at us and say, you know, it's pretty rocky ground. People aren't putting down roots. And they desperately need the gospel of Christ. And the third category, the indifferent, the disconnected, distracted, and then, of course, the empty. In verse 22, it says this, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth. The cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. If money made people happy, then you were in the center of the happiest place in the whole world. Money made people happy, then Beverly Hills and Bel Air are the happiest place in the whole world. If you believe that, I've got news for you. The more we have, the less we value what we have. And you know what's sad about that? It's true of relationships. The more we have, the less we value what we have. Heard some people the other day talking about nominal Christians. I said, oh really, what's a nominal Christian? They're the people who hang around the fringes of the body of Christ with no real investment. They have no personal relationship with Christ. They simply kind of ride the wave. There's no accountability, no desire for more knowledge, no attempt at mission, no sense of biblical literacy. And the danger with that is simply this. They are vulnerable to the secular culture. Jesus would say it's the gospel, seed, sown among thorns. We live with a whirlpool of activity. Everybody I know is in a whirlpool of activity. We are all filled up but unfulfilled. And Jesus would call these people empty. The fourth crowd that Jesus talks about, in verse 23, he talks about those who are receptive. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. These are the people who simply welcome the good news. They find some meaning and purpose in life. They realize they don't have to be paralyzed by the mistakes of their past, that their sins are forgiven, that the future is indeed open, and that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives to make a difference, a redemptive difference. And he said the amazing thing is that there's a harvest after that, a huge harvest. You can't even number it. Anything done with integrity for the cause of Christ has promise. Did you hear that? Everything done, anything done, with integrity for the cause of Christ has promise. It may be as simple as reading a Bible story to a child. Anything done with integrity for the cause of Christ holds promise. Here's the bottom line. You either are a missionary or you need a missionary. That's it. You either are a missionary or you need a missionary. And we dare not live apathetically with our riches. And I'm not talking about your bank account. We dare not live apathetically with the riches of God's grace. We have a job to plant the seeds of the gospel everywhere we go. In the New Testament, 
the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, wanted to stagger Jesus. And so they came up with the most insulting thing they could imagine. Maybe something that would be an ugly slur. Maybe something that would be an embarrassing affront to the Savior. And so they said to him, you, you, Jesus, are a friend of sinners. Not a bad tag. You, Jesus, are a friend of sinners. And he was. And he was. To people that were considered unclean. To women of less than sterling character. Even to the righteous. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And maybe we are called to the same thing. Well, I have good news for you. I have a birthday this month. That's right. You ought to be thankful I'm not drooling at my age. <laughs> but I have a birthday this month and I share it with a superstar, Johann Sebastian Bach. How's that for company? Not bad, huh? And at my stage of the game, I can tell you this. I am not after plaudits, popularity, power, position, or promotions, or prosperity. I don't intend to give up, let up, shut up, or slow up when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. The Titanic carried as many lifeboats as was required by law, 16 lifeboats. The problem? The problem was that the Titanic was four times larger than any other ship that had floated before. So the management or the ownership of the Titanic added four inflatable life rafts to that vessel. You know the story, April 14, 1912, Four days into the maiden voyage, the Titanic hit an iceberg. There were not enough lifeboats, 2,224 passengers and crew on that ship. Over 1,500 people died. The company was in full compliance with the rules. We do not trust rules. We trust Jesus. And Jesus has said to the likes of us, you have the seeds of the gospel, plant them, plant them. And then he gave us a trust. He said, I am trusting you because you are salt, yeast, and light. It's time to get busy. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, draw us to yourself once again in this holy season. Help us never to take for granted the cost of Calvary. Help us in assessing the cost of Calvary to appreciate our net worth in your redemptive kingdom. Help us to use our gifts well. Thank you for trusting the seeds of the gospel to us and enable us, O oh God, to understand the promise that says your word will always have an effect. Now as we approach the opportunity to give something of ourselves back to you. Help us to be generous. Help us to understand that giving is not an economic decision. 
but a spiritual decision. Minister to each of us. In the name of Christ, I dare to ask. Amen.